Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. And after a week on COVID IR, we are back with the good, the bad and the ugly from around the NFL. Delighted to say that alongside myself, Will Gavin, we have features editor Simon Clancy. Simon, how are you doing, sir? Good, Will Force. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. And you are looking crisp and beautiful. If anyone's watching on the YouTube show, in fact, if anyone's not watching on the YouTube show, go and watch the YouTube show because Simon Clancy has new broadband. He's finally joined us in the 21st century. It's a beautiful thing. It truly, truly is. Uh, and Liam Blackburn, a gridiron editor as well. How are we doing, guys? I'm good, mate. Yeah, I'm in a new uh, chair which from Ikea, which I spent about all of the early Sunday slate uh, putting together, which should have taken like five minutes. It took me about three hours. So glad to be sitting here eventually. Did you not look at the little diagram where it had two little people on it and think you might have needed a hand? Yeah, there was that. And then, like, obviously you're supposed to follow the um, advice, which I clearly didn't on several steps. I had a new bike delivered this week, a new road bike, which was very expensive. And it arrived today in a box and I've got to put it together. It's like, no, (laughs) that amount of money for me to put it together. I mean, I've had like pedaling broadband for about 10 years. Do you think I'm really going to put a Pinarello bike together? Well, that's the update from our lives. Let's get to some actual football, boys, because we've got plenty to tuck into from this weekend. We've got an exciting, well, an exciting, I was going to say, a lot of NFC outsiders looking like they could make it to the inside. An exciting AFC East race to get into. We had Hale Murrays. We've had players calling out play calling, ugly offences, left, right and centre, and not even just on the bad teams. Uh, so let's start with some of the good from this week. And... Uh, I want to start with the AFC East, actually, because we've had this resurgence of the Pats with their victory over Baltimore this past weekend. Then you've got, with the Dolphins' result over the Chargers and the Bills losing that last-minute game, which I promise we will get to, it's kind of set up for a really, really nice division this year. A division we've maybe got a little used to not being competitive. Go on, Liam, because you're a fan. Oh, of I mean, you clearly weren't competitive there, were you? The Jets, the Jets are competitive, <laughs> the Dolphins, so you've, got the, you've got the... You are an enviable task. Independent, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Jets are you so bad. Be completely independent. Literally, no skin in the game here. That's true. I I fancied a couple. I think you asked me a couple of weeks ago. Well, actually, who I fancied, and I did say the Bills. Sorry, Simon. But um, every time I see Miami, it's kind of more impressive. Really, just the the general coaching and the game on Sunday seemed to me to be a classic example of sort of a Bill Belichick disciple kind of pulling out a Bill Belichick style win. You know, they ran the ball well dominated field position the special teams are really good schema I mean it was a game where you look at the Chargers and you probably say on paper they might have a better team roster wise but certainly coach I mean certainly a better quarterback obviously Simon but then um you look at them (laughs) you look at them uh coaching wise and it's a massive mismatch you know Flores is just such a much better coach and that's the thing that's going to kind of carry Miami through I mean I think the Bills schedule towards the end of the season is, is a bit easier than Miami's and that might be the difference in the end but you can absolutely see both of those teams getting there and, and New England you know I, I don't think many people expected them to pull that game out of the bag on Sunday against Baltimore again a, a really well coached game they've got that running game going now with uh, Damian Harris and, and they kind of find ways to put Lamar in situations and Greg Raymond that they didn't want to be in and yeah it's it's a fantastic division and for three teams in that division and yeah the other team <laughs> and you're going to bring Trevor Lawrence to the party so you you're going to have something to contribute at some point hopefully yeah although I feel that this week coming off the bye against the Chargers that might be the game 
that the Jets might actually win this year. And the Jags How bad are the Chargers if that's what you're thinking with the talent that they've got? It's also, yeah. it's also a game, though, that Anthony Lynn will be the best coach in, so you should be okay. Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers possibly, which is what it's come to at this stage of the season. Simon, talk to her. I still think the Bills are the favourites to win the division. The Dolphins have got three relatively easy games, you know, Denver, the Jets, sorry, Liam, and then the Bengals. So they could be 9-3 and three hosting the Chiefs in the stadium that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl in with Mahomes against Tonga Vailoa in, in, in four weeks' time with the Dolphins at 9-3. and three. And, that you know, if you're a neutral, certainly, you'd be fascinated in that game. And the, the Dolphins, what the Dolphins do well certainly plays against what the Chiefs do well, whereas what the Dolphins do well on offense, actually the Chiefs are a little bit vulnerable against. So that would be a very interesting matchup. But I, I think I still think it's a year too soon for the Dolphins. They are being coached outstandingly well across the board. You know, the last few weeks, Josh Boyer was bringing sort of zero blitzes, so no safeties at all. Corners match. I mean, it's the best two corners, I think, in the NFL in Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, who absolutely locked down. I mean, Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams may, may as well not have played at the weekend. Whereas this weekend, what happened was after three weeks of zero blitzes, they barely blitzed at all. They had six defensive backs on the field the entire time minimum. The linebackers played about 30 snaps each, whereas Van Noy and Baker usually play every single snap. So it's situational football that they're winning in, really well coached on defence, really well coached on special teams. And Tour isn't making any mistakes. And if you've got a defence and a special teams that are doing that, then an offence that doesn't generally turn the ball over is going to win you some games. I think the Patriots, uh, we've said that on this podcast for a long time, if the Ravens get behind, they're just not built to come back from 10, 12, 14 points down. That's just not the way it works. I think that's what the Patriots did. I just think Bill Belichick outcoached John Harbour in a, in a terrible monsoon. I don't think the Patriots will make the playoffs, as I said in the very first episode of this podcast this season. And I think it will come down to the Bills and the Dolphins, but probably won't make that, that week 17 game in Buffalo. I think the Bills will have wrapped it up before then. Oh, I really want that to be Sunday night football week 17, just because it's so unexpected that I just two, three years ago, if you've gone, that's going to be your week 17 game. And I, I just I want to see a different matchup. I want to see those two going at it. I want to see those two exciting young coaches, quarterbacks that we're excited to see. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm all in on that. On the, on the other side of it, on the NFC, obviously, we've mocked the NFC East a lot this year, but... The New York Giants now haven't lost by more than a score since week three of the season, have either run teams incredibly tight or actually won recent games. And now with the 10-point win over the Eagles, are just a game, half a game back in the NFC East. And, you know, he might be the new New York tough guy, but it feels like the New York coach is doing a half-decent job there, Simon. Yeah, I think they're doing really well, actually. You look back at some of the, you know, they should have beaten the Bears, they should have beaten the Cowboys. Should have beaten the Eagles in the first time they played them. They should have beaten the Buccaneers. You know, Daniel Jones' second straight week where he didn't have a turnover, which for him is great because he's gone nine games before that where he'd had a turnover in each of those games. I think Joe Judge is, is coaching really well. And look, they play the Bengals, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, the Browns, the Ravens, and the Cowboys. If they go two and four or three and three, I think they win the division. I think they're a much better team than the Eagles, and we'll get to why the Eagles are so bad. Wayne Gorman is contributing. They're playing well on defense. Jabril Peppers is playing well. But I, th- I just think it comes back to coaching again. And it feels like there's some sprouting from the Belichick tree that we haven't really seen before with Flores and now Joe Judge. Yeah, as Will pointed out earlier, you know, they've been in every game, only two games that they've been beaten by more than one possession. First week against Pittsburgh, where they hung around for a long time against the only undefeated team in the league. And then the 49ers game, which was a bit of a an outlier by the looks of things. I mean, I should point out they are all three wins have come against the NFC East. They are 0-7 outside of the division. So 
But as you say, they only probably need to win maybe three more games in that stretch, perhaps, to to be in with a chance of winning that division because it's that bad. And they they don't play Dallas again until Dallas is the only NFC East game they've got left at the end of the the season in Week 17. But as you say, it's a sign that they're well coached that they're in every game. And Daniel Jones not turning the ball over in back to back games has made a huge difference. You know, the offensive line, Andrew Thomas was was much maligned as the first tackle to go off the board in the in that tackle class um, in the last draft. He seems to have got it together now played really well against Chase Young two weeks ago. So there's slowly signs of improvement there. And yeah, I think they're going into the bye now, feeling well. And I would say they're the favourites to win the NFC East out of all the teams that are left. I think the the other team to talk about, kind of an outsider who are making a late run, which could be interesting, particularly with a 17 playoff, maybe even an 18 playoff, if we see delays over the coming weeks that the NFL have done quite literally everything they possibly can to avoid that, as we've seen. The Minnesota Vikings, it wasn't pretty on Monday Night Football. The Bears were very much part of their own downfall, which we'll talk a little bit about later in the show. But they're only a game back on Chicago now. Davin Cook, after the two big rushing performances, still put up nearly 100 yards last night. And, you know, they are on a bit of a streak right now. Yeah, I think if you take it back three weeks when they were on their bye and they traded and got Quay, that was kind of seen as kind of like, okay, we're looking to next season now. And I think... It would have been very easy for the locker room at that point to kind of like down tools and think, OK, this season's completely over. I do think it's going to be difficult for them to get into the the playoff picture, just looking at the the kind of way the divisions divisions are and the results they've had. Um, they've lost the Seahawks. They lost to Atlanta, who are only one game back and kind of a bit frisky now. They could go on a bit of a run. They've still got to go to Tampa and at New Orleans, three games back from the Packers. So... But having said that, next three, Cowboys, Panthers, Jags, you could see them winning those three and then having a winning record. And as you say, Dalvin Cook's been a been a revelation last few weeks for them again. And I've just been impressed that they haven't kind of down tools after that Ngokwe trade and have kind of rallied, if anything. The weapons are there. They've just got to, they'll go as far as Kirk Cousins can take them. I mean, special teams have been awful. Uh, and, you know, that's one third of the game, but they will go as far as Cousins can take them. And for me... I think Kirk Cousins is a very middling NFL quarterback, so I suspect it won't be far enough. Let's talk a, a little bit about the, the big player of the week then, the Hale Murray, because certainly we we ended up doing a, a late night uh, show on our on our TalkSport show this weekend. Uh, Matthew Sherry joined me, Ollie Hunter joined me as well for it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I still haven't quite gained my voice back from the reaction to the DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray touchdown. It wasn't for Cliff Kingsbury not trying to, a, desperately throw that game away earlier in the game and also then call a rather bizarre play call despite the timeout, which meant they could have changed that. But still an astonishing moment and one that brings us high levels of excitement. It was a great moment, a great throw. Amazing to think that four years ago, almost the same play had happened with, with Aaron Rodgers hitting Jeff Janis against the Cardinals in that same end zone in the playoffs with that incredible Hail Mary over Patrick Peterson. Slightly odd play call, and Kyler Murray told Peter King that it was a bit of a shambles, which doesn't really reflect where it feels like we pile on Cliff Kingsbury every week and the Cardinals are 6-3, and three and, and clearly he's doing a lot of right things. But I'm not sold that Cliff Kingsbury is, a, is the magician. I think the, the interesting question for me around the Cardinals is there's a lot of talk all of a sudden that Kyler Murray, Liam is like the, is now in firmly in the MVP race. And I wonder, is he an MVP candidate or is he just the most exciting player in the league at the moment in terms of visibility? And I'm not sure there's a, I don't think the two are exclusive. I'm, I'm going to say before Liam answers this, that later in the show, we will be speaking with Super Bowl winning head coach, Brian Billick, as always. And um, I asked him his uh, MVP pick. And he said that after Russell Wilson has had a few difficult games, 
that Kyler Murray has put himself on the radar, Liam. So Brian Billick thinks Kyler Murray. I think so, absolutely. I mean, it almost seems like at times he's succeeding despite the situations that Kingsbury's putting him to, which is a classic example of an MVP, a most valuable player. He is literally that Cardinals offense at times. Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins is fantastic and we saw that on the play at the end. But yeah, just going back to kind of Kingsbury there, you touched on there, Well, the, the first three scoring possessions they had were all field goals where they kind of, we're trying to throw the ball in the red zone rather than getting Kyler in positions that he's so brilliant in. We saw the two uh, running touchdowns where, I mean, I don't know how you stop that in the red zone when he's on the option and they've got people moving around. He's just, he's so elusive. And then again, leading in the fourth quarter, they rushed for 217 yards, 6.2 yards a carry. And then suddenly you call in pass plays to get the bills back into it. And he, even the, the sequence for that, um, touchdown drive at the end they had two timeouts left they then put two relatively short passes over the middle where they had to take timeouts rather than trying to get stuff out of bounds the one pass they did throw out of bounds to Fitzgerald took about nine seconds off the clock when he was open they could have just taken two off it was a really really bad series but at the end of the day you put the ball in the hands of the one guy that you want to put the ball into the hands of and he tries to put it up to the one guy you want it to go to and he finds a way to save the game and yeah I I know you guys aren't particularly huge fans of Kingsbury and and a little bit kind as well, but I I just love watching him play. He's, he's explosive, fantastic. Great, it was a great throw. To, I mean, yeah. that. It was an incredible sensational. Throw. You look at the way his body was positioned. I mean, the Rogers throw with Marcus Golden all over him falling back was probably the greatest throw I've ever seen. But that's not far away from Kyler Murray. So as much as we sometimes feel like we're piling on the Cardinals and whatever, take note, that's an astonishing play. We should also point out as well that there were two astonishing plays in this game, which are just going to be like footnotes forever now. The, <laughs> Josh Allen catching a touchdown pass from McKenzie in the thir- first half. Mm-hmm. And then the throw he made to Stephon Diggs, which looked like it was going to be the game winner, was also absolutely absurd. Neither of those have got any like coverage because they're just mere footnotes in that game now. That was an obscene throw. It's always going to be the way, though. Like, not to make it a 49ers moment, but just to pick something else out from the weekend. Who's ever going to talk about Jordan Reed's one-hand low catch that he made on Sunday? But that was one of the best low catches I've seen in years. But they lost by three scores and were in absolute shambles on defence and special teams. And so, unfortunately, it's not going to be remembered. Sorry, Josh. Your throw is not going to be remembered because Kyler Murray did a better one. Go back to the Super Bowl that Seattle lost with the interception to Malcolm Butler on the goal line. If they did on that game, remember the the one-handed catch falling down, ball in the air, lands in Paul Richardson's lap, which is kind of Lynn Swan-esque, which nobody talks about that play. (laughs) It's one of the most astonishing plays when you consider the moment. Nobody talks about it. It's just completely forgotten because of Malcolm Butler's pick. If, if, If they score on that play, that becomes one of the most heralded catches of all time. So let's move on. We're down podcast, so we're all good. (laughs) Let's let's move on to the bad because actually we heard Kyler Murray describe that play calling or the play as a shambles going back into the huddle. We've now had Keenan Allen speaking out about the offense and the confusion, and you could argue that the Dolphins did a good job on Sunday considering they were missing some key pieces on defense as well, but does feel like another punching bag of ours in Anthony Lynn now has key leaders and key players speaking out about the play calling. Again, it's something I'm going to ask Billick about a little bit later, but you start to think time is done when players start to kind of guard themselves against and, you know, get on the soapbox and then point the finger at someone else. Yeah. And there was the quote from Anthony Lant afterwards was that they knew what was coming because they'd seen this on Miami in previous games. And you just wonder why they weren't better prepared for, for what was coming then you know you, you've got a rookie quarterback there you want to put him in a position to succeed and they just uh, again trying to get Kalen Ballage to sort of have this bizarre revenge game against the Dolphins was 
was odd to me. You know, the credit to the Dolphins, they've confused better coaches than Anthony Lynn over the past couple of weeks in Sean McVay and, and Jared Goff when they played the Rams. But 29 and 30 in Anthony Lynn's time in charge now, the Chargers feel like a patient organisation that won't just kind of rip things up unless they absolutely have to. And Herbert's playing well enough that you feel that he perhaps does have another year in because they might not want to rock the boat with a rookie quarterback who's playing quite well. But yeah, I mean, I just feel like we might be having the same conversation in a year's time. 22 of his 30 defeats have been one-score games, which I think tells you an awful lot about coaching because one-score games, they can come down to minute decisions. And we talked back in week one about the decision to punt the ball away in overtime back to Patrick Mahomes on fourth and one in, in plus territory. It seems to happen week after week. And interestingly, some some Charger beat writers began to talk about how it felt like the players were just beginning to lose trust in Anthony Lynn. And when you when you lose the players' trust, that's a slippery slope from that point forward. I think Tom Telesco will probably end up staying on. But I, I do fear for Anthony Lynn unless things dramatically turn around. Now, we talked a bit about the Vikings and their resurgence, but it's in an NFC North where you've got two teams who started pretty dominant in terms of record and then have had some some poor performances in recent weeks. Let's start off with the Packers who did, I mean, they got the win. That's the most important thing on Sunday, but a four-point win over the Jaguars at home, having given up leads on, what, three separate occasions. It's not the kind of performance you want against a one-win team, I think it's fair to say so. It felt very complacent from Green Bay as if they just were wandering into Lambeau against a one and seven team and they were just going to wipe them off the field. The weather obviously didn't help, 40, 50 mile an hour winds, which is never easy. I think the interesting thing is that Green Bay are the have home field advantage currently as it stands now and schedule wise probably should manage to eke that out. Home field obviously will mean much less with no fans in the stadium. The one thing that will err on Green Bay's favour is going to be the weather in Lambeau. Mm. If it starts to snow in the playoffs, if they've had the week off, those sorts of things. But it was I watched most of the game. It was a very unusual performance. And what's been the key, I think, for, for Green Bay's sort of inconsistencies has been their inability to stop the run. I don't think they played particularly well in the middle of the field. Losing Blake Martinez, you know, who was sort of maligned a little bit in Green Bay, but has played very well for the Giants. Kenny Clark has not played nearly as well. I know he's been injured, but they've just got blown off the ball time and time and time again against a, not a particularly good Jaguars offensive line. James Robinson had 100 yards rushing. And for me, I think their inability to stop the run is really going to hurt them in the playoffs. And also, I think it speaks a little bit to the importance of Alan Lazard, you know, an undrafted free agent wide receiver. You know, Aaron Jones was obviously isn't healthy and, and didn't carry the ball nearly as much as you'd expect. But um, it, it is very odd that Alan Lazard has become such a massively important factor in this team because he's now somebody that Aaron Rodgers completely trusts alongside obviously Devontae Adams but you know when you can roll coverages over against Adams with safeties over the top and those sorts of things it does really mean that you're looking for those secondary targets that I'm not sold that Rodgers entirely trusts so very strange game from the Packers who are a very strange team this season. Nail on the head when you said about complacency you know Jake Luton rolling into Lambeau Field I imagine they thought this is a straightforward afternoon we probably don't need to get out of second gear here and They've had five turnovers on offense all year. Two of those came in this game. The Rodgers interception was kind of indicative of perhaps a little bit of overconfidence. You know, I'm surprised he made that throw. A bit lazy, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then there's there's another few anomalies. You know, there's a pump return touchdown in there. I don't think there are, there are clearly issues with the Packers, but I think this you probably put this one down to a bit of overconfidence, a bit of complacency. And they're like every other t- good team in the NFC. There's there's good bits, but there's also flaws and. Whether they'll be their undoing or not towards the end of the season, I guess we'll find out. 
we also have to trust that they are going to use that weather benefit to their advantage. Uh, it was interesting, they talked on the Sunday night coverage about how the Patriots had been practicing in that awful weather all week. And I think that showed out with the lack of mistakes that they made, that they had clearly kind of got themselves ready for that game specifically. Like, and nothing annoys me more than if you are in a cold environment and you either have an indoor stadium or you have an indoor practice facility, but an outdoor stadium. It's like, what's the point? Why not use that thing to your advantage? So got to trust that, that Matt LaFleur is going to do that. The interesting thing for the Packers in the playoffs is they have a three-headed running attack if Aaron Jones is healthy because they're going to get AJ Dillon back as well. In the playoffs, in the cold weather, if it's snowing in Lambeau, the ability just to be able to turn off and hand it off to those three backs might be critical, especially with David Bakhtiari back healthy. The line looks to be getting a bit better in terms of health-wise. That could be really critical in the playoffs if, you, if the road does go through, through Green Bay. And then you've got the Chicago Bears who, on defence, did did everything that they had to do this weekend. They managed to keep Dalvin Cook to sub 100 yards, which has been nigh on impossible for teams since his return from injury. And they've played well over recent weeks. But Nick Foles in the offense, I see constant complaints from Bears fans about him. He ends up going out injured, although they've got their bye coming up and he's been described as day-to-day in an update today. So he could be back and healthy and present them with a question mark over whether they go back to Trubisky on the basis of play or whether... You know, they, they make it about the injury. I think that there's a possibility that they make that change. But they've, they've now dropped to five and five. There was that great stat about they've only got seven points in the third quarter this season. That's now 14, but only thanks to Cordero Patterson returning a kickoff 104 yards. Amazing that it's a side of the ball that they're meant to be, that, that Nagy was meant to come in and fix. They brought in Bill Lazor this year. He was meant to come in and fix it. Nothing looks particularly mended to me. This is Bill Lazor's play calling debut in this season, and you know, 149 total yards. I wouldn't be putting that on the resume anytime soon. Bill. <laughs> um, they had only seven less kick return yards than they did total offensive yards. I mean, obviously, that's thanks to the big kickoff, but that's yeah, ridiculous. Awful. Like um, Montgomery was out here, but the running game was a shambles. Two of eleven on third down. You know, the only points here were field goals and that Patterson return. If you're a, so it's wasting another good defensive performance as well. You know, the, the Bears did really well against Dalvin Cook. And you've, you've got to be thinking if you're on that side of the ball, pull your weight, lads. Like, what is going on here? There's, I, I, wrote, I worry that there might be sort of like factions kind of coming in the team. And it's just not a good sign. I've just had a message off a, a mate who's a Bears fan saying it looks like they're going to go back to Trubisky after the bye. Ugh, I mean, out of the frying pan into the fire, it sort of seems like on that. I, it just seems like completely set up for a end of season slump and then a complete rebuild where you get a new GM, say goodbye to Ryan Pace, new head coach, say goodbye to Matt Nagy, and then probably get a new quarterback. Um, And they're probably not going to be in a great position to get one in the draft. That's the worry as well. If last night's performance was a video game, Bill Lazor was hitting the Ask Madden button when it came to play calling every single time. (laughs) The point you make on Pace is very interesting because I think he's had three, you know, the, the three ways that you can get a quarterback into the team. He's had drafting, Trubisky hasn't worked. Trading, Nick Foles hasn't worked. Free agent, Mike Glennon hasn't worked. I suspect Matt Nagy might get the benefit of the doubt of an extra year. I'm not sure. But I think I can't see any scenario in which Ryan Pace sticks around. But like you say, they desperately need, need a new quarterback. And you're thinking, you know, probably four guys will go in the top 10 or 12. What are they, five and five? They're going to, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they lost out enough to get into that mix. But I think it's rip up and start again, certainly at the quarterback position and probably all the way through. It leaves a really interesting situation. And certainly it'll be a big conversation in the off season. I was asked about uh, the 49ers quarterback situation on the show on, on Sunday night. And I was like, well, you think about guys like Sam Darnold, who may be out there and available. You think about guys like, you know, Carson Wentz might be available. It won't be, it won't be cheap, but 
there'll be a thought there. And, and that kind of brings us nicely into the ugly of the week because there's a few quarterbacks we need to talk about. And the Eagles' 10-point loss to the Giants where they had opportunities to get back in that game. And I have continually tried to defend Carson Wentz this season as a guy that I was a big, big fan of, but it's becoming increasingly difficult to justify him being in that team. I think he's operating as one of the three or four worst quarterbacks in the NFL at the moment. I thought he was atrocious at the weekend. Uh, I'm not a massive fan of pro football focus, but they said that he, over the last few weeks, he's had 23 t- turnover-worthy plays, which is 10 more than anybody else. Uh, and third down, their third down off- offense is absolutely atrocious. They were 0 for 9 against the Giants on Sunday, which is the first time they haven't converted a first down since 2004. I mean, that's, that's 16 years. What are you doing? And they're 7 for 30. <laughs> In the last three games, 23% on converting first downs. I mean, at what point does a three, five and one team that's not going anywhere, but with a chance to win a division, with a quarterback who's playing increasingly badly, not turn to the guy that they've drafted in the second round in Jalen Hurts? What is the worst that can happen? At this point, I don't understand the decision to continue to play it. We've talked on this show about, you know, how much of a miss Frank Reich is and and how his poor form seems to have coincided with Reich's departure. But if I was Doug Peterson, I would be going to Jalen Hurts because I think we've seen all we, we can see from, from Carson Wentz and something isn't right, whether it's his health, whether it's, I don't know what it is, but he's just not playing good football at all. And Jalen Hurts is there, just play him. There's no point keep bringing him in for rinky-dinky plays here and there. Just just trust him and see what happens. You've only won three games and you've still got a chance to win the division. So what have you got to lose? It's an interesting decision whether being in that division race still means you're more likely or less likely to go to another quarterback. I don't know. It's obviously something they have to decide, but the run of games they've got coming up as well, Brian Seahawks, okay, Seahawks defense, but then Packers, Saints, Cardinals, last two weeks, Cowboys, Washington, but they could be out of the race by then. They they have to find some wins from somewhere in the next four or five weeks. And, you know, he's running out of excuses as well. Jalen Rager has been back, back to back weeks now. Miles Sanders was back this week. He's getting pieces back and yet the play still isn't improving. There are a couple of quarterbacks who are very much established and aren't going to be being taken out of teams, but have had either poor performances or injury over this weekend. And and Russell Wilson, we mentioned it briefly earlier, but three of the last four games now Seattle have lost. And in those games, Russell Wilson's had multiple turnovers in all three of them. First time in his career, he's had back-to-back three interception games. We, We say it time and time again, the justification is that He has to do everything, it feels like, because even with Jamal Adams back in that defence and getting another big sack at the weekend, getting some big plays in that area of the field, they spent two first-round picks on a defensive player and the defence looks like, what, bottom five in the NFL right now. So how do they do it without Russell Wilson and what's going on with Wilson? It does seem like he's trying to overcompensate a lot for that terrible defence and maybe there's a little bit of him sort of believing the hype over the past few weeks as well and kind of buying into that. I mean, there was this a stat that he's 0-2 since trademarking let, let Russ cook um, and just stuff like that. The, uh, what has he since put him on the front of the magazine? I mean, yeah, uh... I think it's probably even worse than that, to be honest, mate, but we'll, we'll brush over that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the one interception, the three in the end zone, where he could have just run, picked up the first time, potentially run and even got the touchdown himself, that, that just kind of was very un-Wilson-like, I think. And yeah, maybe he's a little bit scrambled, you know, he's not going to have DK Metcalf shut down by Jalen Ramsey every week. But the other thing is you kind of think Pete Carroll, risk-adverse coach, is going to try and take the ball out of his hands now and be more sort of like run-orientated because that's the way he's always been built. And it's a worry you talk about Jamal Adams there. You know, I know he's been injured. There was a clip going around on social media of him sort of like perhaps making a business decision where he didn't um, 
make a tackle that he could have made. He's been absolutely dreadful in coverage, one of the worst PFF rank safeties in coverage. And yeah, he's he's come back and the Seahawks defense just hasn't improved. He was arguing with Pete Carroll on the sideline a week or two ago. I, I know I've seen enough of Jamal Adams to know that when he's healthy, he will be a massive upgrade on who they've got back there and he will be a, a tone setter and will make a difference. But he can only do so much and there's there's so many problems on that defense that it feels a little bit like Wilson's trying to kind of overcompensate for that and do too much at the minute. Jamal Adams making a business decision. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, I mean, he still hasn't been paid, has he? People forget that. He's been traded, but he hasn't got a big contract that he wants. And go look at the clip on Twitter where he, um, yeah, let's just say, doesn't want to make a tackle. Love it. Love it. Uh, on the, the other one was um, Drew Brees. We've got this in ugly because of the nature of the injury. It's, it fascinates me when these things happen because apparently Drew Brees came into the game with a cracked rib. And that is something that it feels to me should be on an injury report somewhere. He goes down under what they flagged as being a, being an illegal hit. I don't Maybe. feel like we should get into that because I'll get angry. He apparently cracks two more ribs and punches a lung. You know, that's as horrible and as ugly as it gets. Jameis Winston comes in, doesn't have to do a huge amount because the 49ers decide to give them short field from muff punts on two separate occasions, but doesn't look great. Taysom Hill probably has one of his better games at quarterback, but, you know, he's mostly just in there as a running threat. So what do they do going forwards? I mean, it's such an interesting decision because, you know, Taysom has often asked to be considered as a full-time quarter. That's what he wants to do. Drew Brees is in a situation where this is likely to be his last year. You know, there's an NBC contract on the on the table for him to commentate on college football. You know, coming off a collapsed lung and five fractured ribs, you you kind of feel like the end is is nigh for Drew Brees. I think they'll go with Jameis Winston because Taysom Hill is just too valuable in those other aspects of the game, be it on special teams. He's an excellent special teams player, but also on offense, just his ability to get under center, you know, to be a running back, to be a tight end, to be an H-back, to, to be a wide receiver, all the things that he does. I just don't think you want to take that element out of the offense by putting him at quarterback. So I think Jameis will get the start and I think it will be very interesting to see what happens. And the question then is what happens if Jameis gets hurt? Obviously Taysom will go to quarterback, but how will that affect the style of their offense because he does bring a very unique balance to what they do. And it's unlike, he's unlike any other player in the league. And we, you know, over the years we've heard, Oh, everybody's trying to get a new X. Well, it seems like most years now, everybody's trying to get a new Taysom Hill. This guy is going to be another take. Well, there's not, there's only one Taysom Hill for a reason. You're going to stand by him. He's huge. He's a big physical specimen. You know, there are not that many people built like that who can do what he does. He's tough. You know, he'll take people on in the blocking. He's a very good blocker. So I think Jameis will get the, get the start and it will be interesting to see how it plays out and whether or not he, the eye surgery has cured his problems. <laughs> it's um, they, This weekend they've got the Falcons as well and it's in their building, big divisional game. But the Falcons, I mean, they would be on a four-game winning streak if Todd Gurley could have done what we saw Nick Chubb do at the weekend and gone down at the one-yard line instead of going out. Instead of scoring the touchdown, they've been so much improved. A major part of that is because they've been getting healthy. And they've now just had their bye week, which is, gives them more opportunity to get those players back on defence and, and up to full song. So uh, I'd be concerned for the Saints this coming weekend. I think that it's one of those where I, I do fancy the Falcons to go in there if it's Jameis Winston and, and do the job on them. So it becomes a really big thing for NFC seeding in that division. So one to definitely be watching for this coming weekend. Let's hear from Brian Billick. I spoke to him about the issues that we discussed earlier with uh, with play calling. And we do a little bit of a mid-season awards just for a bit of fun as well. Uh, with X-Tech Pads here is Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick. Coach Billick, how are we doing, sir? Doing great. Well, how are you doing? 
Yeah, very well. Thank you. Very well indeed. And as always, Coach joins us in association with X Tech Pads. Check out their wares online because they are the very best in game day pads and used by just so many top names in the NFL. So well worth your time and checking out. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun and do a bit of a, a mid-season awards with you today, Coach. But before we do so, there was a couple of plays this week I did want to get your thoughts on. Uh, I think you can guess that one of them is the Hale Murray, as we're now calling it, thanks to Mike Tirico. Um Interesting that afterwards, in, in his post-game press conference, Kyler Murray kind of described the play itself as a shambles and was saying kind of uh, the fact that they only sent DeAndre Hopkins deep and the other three receivers, none of them went to the end zone, and yet somehow it all came together. Yeah, typically on, on a Hail Mary, you send three down, you, a jumper in the middle, someone behind, and someone in front. That's normally how you orchestrate it. So if the ball gets tipped, which it typically does – you have someone in position. They took the the, the tack of going, okay, we're gonna we're gonna uh, uh, Michael Jordan it. We're gonna clear out the key, okay, and we're gonna just send D Hopkins down there and let him go up. And and it, it was spectacular. I mean, you're talking about three, but there were six hands on it by the Buffalo Bills, and DeAndre Hopkins comes down with it. It was just a spectacular play, and it was interesting that Murray and you could understand because that was the design. He said, all I saw was Hopkins. They said, God, I can't believe there was all those Buffalo guys. He goes, I didn't even see them. All I saw was D Hopkins. That's why I threw it. And, and on a Hail Mary, that's what it is. What t- you know, take a shot. It, what the worst that could happen, what an interception. And uh, it's just a magnificent play. Was there the element of the play call? Because like I say, I thought it was interesting that he did mention that he thought it was a shambles, particularly as they had the timeout as well. It just seemed an odd thing for the quarterback to be not just coming in there and going, well, we did it, don't worry about it, but actually saying, yeah, I didn't like the play call, but we managed to pull it off somehow. The hardest part in executing Hail Mary is getting the quarterback enough time for everybody to get down 50, 60 yards down the field. He obviously bought time, as he typically does, by getting outside the pocket. So that gave Mer- uh, Hopkins plenty of time to get kind of get situated and get down the field. So it's not like it's a well-orchestrated design play. I mean, there is. There's structure to it. But it is a little helter-skelter. I mean, my God, it's, it's, it's the Hail Mary last gasp play of a game. Uh, so it's going to feel that way. As typical, it comes down to just the extraordinary talents of an individual like DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, incredible implications as well, which we discussed on the show already. Um, I also wanted to, it was funny because we had a, another player talking play calling uh, in his press conference today, Keenan Allen, off the back of the Dolphins game where the Chargers, again, another one score loss for them. Uh, talked about the offense being pretty confused out there. Talked about having to run the ball to avoid catastrophic plays. I mean, I'm guessing a lot of that is the Dolphins' defense, but it does feel like it's just not clicking in Los Angeles. No, and 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 Johnny Lynn, the head coach, has got a problem because, and this is typical, it happens as a team struggles with a coach who's probably on a bubble. And it's unfortunate because they're wasting an incredible rookie year uh, by Herbert, who's having just an unbelievable year. And, and as we've talked about before, this is a team that just seems to find a way to lose uh, in the last few minutes of a game, what, seven or eight of them now, that uh, it starts to cascade downhill. And you have the players beginning to the, – the hardest part for Johnny Lynn is it's the players – the minute something bad happens, it's, oh, okay, here we go again. That, okay, we've been down here before. Uh, they lose faith in the coaching staff. Coaching staff lose faith in the players. It's just not a healthy situation. I think you're seeing Keenan Allen, which regrettably, you know, it's hard for me to listen to as a coach. 
because it's okay. Well, what, what, what's your purpose here? It's the typical jump up on the soapbox and say, I confess he did it, you know, mentality, which is not a healthy place to be. Yeah, I guess that's what happens when you're you're a losing team. That kind of those excuses start to fly. And and actually, I like the fact that we get somewhere like what we've seen. I mean, Seattle have had a really rough three or four weeks. Um, you know, Baltimore uh, off the back of that Patriots loss now uh, fall a few games back. But we didn't hear any of that from in those locker rooms. And I guess that's what you want as a coach is right. It's rough, but let's keep it rough in house. Yeah, and and two two points to make. You you brought up two excellent teams. One, both championship pedigrees, so they know what it is to win a championship. Two, two coaches that are solidly in place. You know, obviously, regardless of how the season ends, John Harbaugh and Pete Carroll aren't going anywhere, and the players know that. And they know, okay, I gotta, you know, I got, I'm responsible to this guy next year if I want to be on this team. I think what you see on a team that's struggling and there's a potential coaching change is the players recognizing, well, this guy's probably going to be gone anyway, so I'm just going to find cover for myself. Make sure that when the next guy comes in, it's not you that's looked bad off the back of it, uh, even though I sometimes tend to think that that's, that's a worse approach to take as a player, maybe. But uh, you mentioned Justin Herbert. I do wonder on that conversation. We've seen Tua Tungavailoa come in, three wins from three, up and down from a personal performance, but they're getting it done. Justin Herbert, very much the opposite of that. And then Joe Burrow, who's ticking along, but not getting a lot of wins in Cincinnati. What have you made of the three kind of key rookie quarterbacks and, and looking at what you've seen from them between three and kind of eight, nine games into their careers who do you like? Where do you think they're going to be? Well, you got you got to like them all. I mean, uh, I'm doing a podcast and a, and a bit on NFL Network tonight with Michael Robinson about these athletic quarterbacks and what it really means. Is the game really changing? And when you look at their numbers, I'm like, my God, Murray's he's he's already on pace to be the only quarterback in the history of the league to throw for more than four thousand yards and run for more than a thousand. That, that's and and on on better than seven hundred touches. That's really the thing right now people are looking at. Is that the future? Can your quarterback survive when you have uh, – Lamar Jackson, you know, is the same way. He's close to 600 touches. When I say touches, I mean throws and runs. So when you're talking about quarterbacks getting up to that 150 and 160 runs, Murray's on pace to be 155. Jackson's on pace for 160, down a little bit from his 176 last year. Even a Josh Allen is, is on pace to be above 100 touches. So we'll have to see. One, is it sustainable? That's always the concern. Is a quarterback going to be more vulnerable to injury? And that's the old school thinking that I think we're beginning to go through change a little bit. But these guys are so productive. And, and you look, you know, Josh Allen's the same way. He's better than 4,500 yards better than 115 runs. Burrow is really impressive. He's on pace to throw better than 650 times. That's a lot for a rookie quarterback, surrounded by a bad team. But the good news is, is you learn a lot. I mean, the, the growth curve for him is going to be accelerated compared to Lamar Jackson, who, who will throw very little more than 400 throws again this year. And that's fine because they do other things and they run. But the growth curve for Lamar Jackson, and, and he has struggled showing he can be that guy from the pocket compared to, to uh, Burrow, who you know is throwing the ball darn near every down, but is learning a lot from it. 
is worth checking out, by the way. Coach Billick's excellent. The Q Factor, the elusive search for the next great NFL quarterback. I got my copy. I really should have it to hand to be able to kind of show up to the camera or something. But uh, I've started to dig into it. And it's a really good read, particularly if you're a, a nice football nerd like myself. It's definitely going to be worth checking out for you. Uh, I said we were going to do some mid-season awards. Let's start off with there. Do we, any of those guys kind of qualify for your rookie of the year so far? Is there anyone else who's, who's really stood out for you? Naturally, because the other numbers, you go to guys like Herbert or Burrow, even though they're not on winning teams, and they have been spectacular, and they're both high draft choices. So obviously, that one's kind of a low-hanging fruit in terms of what they've been able to do. Uh, the, the wide receiver, Jefferson. Justin uh, Jefferson, yeah. I, yeah, I think is one that's been, you know, if you're looking for a guy that was kind of off the radar and, and not a top pick and that type of thing, uh, is it would be an interesting choice. Uh, what about coaching at this point in the year? I think there's some interesting choices out there, some people who are stepping up to the mark. Who do you, who do you think is in the running for that award at this stage? We, we tend to dismiss them, but you go to the top with Andy Reid because and, 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 that'd be easy and the success they're having. But yeah, they get it all the time and that was expected. That's kind of the mentality. Bel- Belichick for years has kind of fallen into that category. I think uh, Sean McDermott in Buffalo is with developing that team, bringing the defense along, obviously a young quarterback now in the new AFC East post New England Patriot dominance. I also think Brian Flores down in Miami that they're, they, even though Tua is now just getting into his own and we've got a lot left to play to see just how good he's going to be. Uh, that defense has really developed. And they're winning some games. You now, whether they're even going to make the playoffs or whether they can win a championship, you know, that's, that, that's hard to say. But I think those two in particular noteworthy in terms of the way they're growing their franchises and that these guys could be, you know, on top of some pretty good teams by year's end. Regular listeners will know I love a bit of confirmation bias. So I love those choices because I started the season by saying my coach of the year pick was whoever wins the AFC East over the New England Patriots. So there we go. And actually, those two face each other in week 17. That could end up being Sunday night football. Who'd have thought? Bills, Dolphins for all the marbles. You know, even a year ago, we wouldn't necessarily expected that. What about MVP? Because it's become an interesting conversation after the, the we talked about it, the recent struggles for Seattle and Russell Wilson yeah. seem to be so far ahead. But now, and keep in mind that those struggles still means Russell Wilson is on pace for almost 600 throws, 70% completion, almost 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns, 18 interceptions. Those numbers are hard to, to de- defy. But we already talked about uh, Kyler Murray, you know, record setting 4,000 plus Receive uh, or passing yards probably, and and over a thousand yards rushing. So I think those two. I think there's uh, Wilson is an emotional favorite because he he should have had an MVP last year, but Lamar Jackson had that incredible year. There always to be somebody else, the new shiny object that we kind of go to, and Russell Wilson keeps putting together. So if they can kind of get their defense rectified a little bit and end up being a playoff team with those numbers, Russell Wilson might might just fall into that category. Coach, it's always an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate you taking the time. I look out. I look forward to hearing you and Mike Rob breaking down the quarterbacks later we'll today, and uh, we'll speak again soon. Sounds great. Brian Billick speaking with us on the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, Simon Clancy, Liam Blackburn. So we'll round things off, boys, with our usual likes, dislikes, and uh, unsung heroes from this week. Things that we haven't covered off yet at this point. Does anyone want to put their hand up and go first? Literally. Yeah, why not? I will. Wrapping my sort of like an unsung hero together, um, Brandon Staley, the Rams defensive coordinator, 
is both of those. He obviously came in at the start of the year. There was kind of a lot of intrigue when they replaced Wade Phillips with this guy who'd only young guy who'd only been the linebackers coach with the Bears and Broncos under Vic Fangio. That Rams defense is currently second in points against, second in yards given up, and the system's been really impressive. You know, he's kind of moved Jalen Ramsey into situations where he can thrive. He's he's got this kind of star role he calls it in this defense where he doesn't just put him on an island outside. He'll move him inside put him up against tight ends, have him on. He's blitzing more than he's ever blitzed in his career. And he was obviously fantastic against DK Metcalf, virtually shut him down on Sunday. And then, you know, there's other players as well. Obviously, Leonard Floyd is benefiting from having Aaron Donald on there, but he's already tied his career high sacks with what he had in Chicago. And the Rams offense has got an awful lot of love over the past few years, but I've been really impressed with Brandon Staley and kind of what he's done with that unit. Um, Yeah, kind of an unsung hero so far. I'll follow on from that, really, because my likes were Jalen Ramsey and Darius Williams, as Liam said. Sensational. Yeah. I mean, Metcalf, two catches, 28 yards. He's one of the premier receivers in the NFL. He's big, he's physical, he's tough, he's nasty. And, and Ramsey, Ramsey's a bellend, but he's a hell of a player. Um, <laughs> and Darius Williams, is, Darius Williams is the best player in the NFL that nobody's heard of. I mean, he is legitimately playing at an all-pro level. Um, and I think those those interceptions that he had at the weekend were just testament to how well he's played. This is literally one of the best corners in the NFL, picking off two passes and, and being brilliant as he has been for much of the season. So kudos to those two. Is there anyone the two of you wanted to tear down viciously? Three lot. I mean, <laughs> he's not the one. He's not the one. Four picks against a defense that had three interceptions all season. I mean, it's not exactly some ball hawking unit that he was operating against with the Raiders and. Yeah, just, <laughs> So many turnovers, last five games, 10 interceptions. And yeah, I think the Broncos will be looking for a new starting quarterback next year. Let's put it that way. It's astonishing that a quarterback as good as John Elway cannot find a quarterback. (laughs) And my my dislike is Marwan Malouf, the um, special teams coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. Two punts blocked last week. Cordero Patterson returns the opening kickoff for a touchdown. They had the, the missed extra point because of the bad snap. Coverage disaster or left, right and center. I mean... If he's still in the job by the end of me speaking, I'll be surprised. I mean, Mike Zimmer having an absolute attack at him on the sideline after Patterson scored. I mean, why you're kicking off to one of the best returners of a generation is is beyond me anyway. You know he's going to re- try and return it. Even if he's standing on the back of the goal line, he's still going to try and bring it out. So, yeah, it's not been a good run for Malouf. And I, I would be surprised if he's still in gainful employment by year's end. I, I'm just kind of astonished by the stats that Liam's just thrown out there because it means that Jeff Heath, has nearly 50% of his team's interceptions this year, <laughs> which is just just ridiculous. The only person I wanted to mention, and he's less of an unsung hero this week because I think people who watched the game saw how good he was, but uh, he's been sensational this year and has kind of been one of those operators who has, uh, I think that people have enjoyed when he was in Dallas and now in Buffalo as, as a guy that will be a workhorse for you, a great route runner. But Cole Beasley had an, a sensational game on Sunday. Um yeah, absolutely ridiculous. And I think that, like, it feels like some people are just turning up to the Cole Beasley party. And uh, I'm a big, big fan of him out of the slot. So uh, nice to see him getting some recognition this week. Unless anyone has anything else they want to bring to the table. Hero, I'd just like to chuck in uh, another Buffalo Bill, and that's Tyler Bass, the kicker, who in the second mm-hmm. quarter had probably the greatest quarter of any kicker in NFL history. He hit 54 
55 and 58 yarders in 15 minutes, which I don't think has ever been done before. So, um, and, and this is coming off, uh, I, I think again, it wasn't against you boys, against the Jets a few weeks ago. Didn't they have 18 points or 15 points in, in that game? Yeah, because our defence was shutting down Josh Allen so well in that game, actually. Yeah, so um, he's kicked really well this year. I mean, a, a few wobbles at the start of the season, uh, as you do the rookie, but he's really come on really well. Uh, you know, to boom three 50 yarders, including a 58 yarder. Also on the day when Matt Prater kicks a walk-off 50-yarder. <laughs> there was an absolutely fantastic uh, statistic uh, this weekend for fantasy fans. Tight end has just been an absolute wasteland in fantasy this season. The highest scoring fantasy tight end this past weekend had 12.73 points and was outscored by seven different kickers. So uh, it's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, boys, top stuff as always. Uh, don't forget to check out the YouTube channel. Watch this here if you're listening to the audio version and you can see our video with Brian Billick as well. We'll have some fancy stuff up there. The brilliant work the guys do with social at Gridiron, at UK Gridiron as well. New magazine. The Russell Wilson stuff is still brilliant regardless of how he's played the last few weeks. And I'm sure he'll bounce back. He always does. Probably win down the stretch and go to the Super Bowl. But yeah, definitely worth checking out as well. Boys, thank you so much. Uh, You've been listening to The Gridiron Show. (laughs) 